Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. Here on the podcast, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, for lots of free resources for teachers. Download any and all of them right on the homepage, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 170. So I'm recording this on Monday, December 6th, 2021, and today is going to be a really cool episode. I have a special guest coming on, and I'm going to tell you about her in a minute, and she is going to present on uh, her area of expertise, which has never, ever been covered before on this podcast. And I'm super excited to bring you this, uh, this topic. The first thing though, that I want to uh, share with you before we go into today's episode is I just want to remind you that this Saturday, December 11th is my virtual year end event called the bare bones yoga virtual teacher meetup. This is a completely free event. It's my end of the year event. I did one of these at the beginning of the year, and I wanted to end the year with a way for yoga teachers to get together, to hear from each other, to maybe do a little collaborative brainstorming and thinking, as well as give them an opportunity to invest in their health and wellness. So this is going to be um, a half day or so event that will give you a chance to practice yoga, practice meditation, do a little myofascial release, hear from some expert speakers on uh, their areas of expertise. One is in Ayurvedic medicine and the other speaker will be talking about uh, making plans, goal setting, um, taking more charge of your life. Both of these teachers are super knowledgeable and highly energetic. And I really think you're gonna love the information that they have to share. And so this event, like I said, totally free. And all you need to do to sign up for it is go to my website on the events page and you'll see the link to join. Um, you can also, I'll be posting about it all week on Instagram. So if it's easier for you to get the link on my Instagram post, uh, you'll see it in my stories throughout the week. So that's the, the main thing I wanted to share with you. The other thing just in uh, closing for my intro before we launch into the interview uh, episode part of today's uh, episode is, you know, sometimes people ask me how they can support the podcast. And I didn't really want to set up a Patreon account. So I decided to create these really cool coffee mugs or tea. I am, I'm a tea drinker. And um, I love how they came out. They have the logo of the podcast on them. And I always envision when people listen to the podcast, if they're not out walking or driving, maybe they're sitting having a cup of tea. And you can have it in a podcast mug. <laughs> and they're... Um, the 
proceeds from the podcast mugs will go to support the podcast here and really just help with some of the production costs that go into bringing you this content. So if you're interested in buying a podcast mug, you'll have it for your, uh, for your tea or coffee as you hopefully relax and listen to each episode every week. You can get it right on my website. Um, it's $12.99 and the podcast page has the link to purchase. It also has an image, a picture, so you can see, you can see what the podcast mug looks like. So, um, and then one last thing I want to say, I just want to thank you so much for being a listener. If you're listening right now, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, and we are at episode 170 here, I want to just thank you so much for your time, for your attention, for being part of the podcast community and just the larger community uh, as well of yoga teachers who are interested in just learning more and you know being their most authentic selves when they teach. So I really appreciate your time and I thank you so much for being part of this podcast community. So as far as today's episode, let me tell you, uh, you're in for a treat. I have had on my list of topics to cover here on the podcast, pelvic health. And um, I don't have an expertise in this area. And I wanted to bring someone on who could speak to us as yoga teachers about not only the musculature involved when you talk about the pelvic floor, but what some considerations are for us as yoga teachers when we see students either in person or online who are uh, pregnant, who have recently had a child, um, those are some considerations when you think of the application of this information. And then also to really just talk in general about some of the muscles that are in that area and some of what we may or might see uh, from any of our students, even those that aren't pregnant or haven't recently had a child. So this is kind of an overview of that. And I was lucky enough to connect with a fellow entrepreneur in an entrepreneur's group that I am in. And Ashley Hocutt is a physical therapist. She specializes in this area, in the pelvic health area of expertise. And so the primary focus of her practice, her physical therapy practice, is working with patients who have questions, who have certain clinical um, conditions that involve the pelvic health or the pelvic region of the body. And so most of her work, although she does do some general orthopedic work with patients is in the pelvic health region. So you will hear from her today. We go into a really interesting conversation about the application of this to yoga teaching. So it's really, I hope, going to give you some practical things that you can walk away from this episode with that you can use in your teaching. So you'll meet Ashley. We'll dive right into that conversation right now. And, um, and that's it. I just really appreciate your time. And I would love to know once you listen to this, what you think of the episode. So send me a direct message on Instagram and let me know any takeaways for you that were meaningful. Thanks to Ashley for her time and thanks to you, the listener. Let's get on with that episode. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? So good to meet you, so good to see you. Yeah, you as well, this is exciting. Yes. Thank you. Yes, of course. I mean, as I mentioned to you, this has been on my list of topics to, um, to have discussed on my podcast. And I really don't have 
an area of expertise in this, in this area of the body. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I teach anatomy, I really focus on, and I, and this is not a, a diss to any of the muscles that are in the pelvic region, but I really work with um, kind of the major muscles of movement in talking to teachers about um, the musculature of the body. And so this has been, you know, something on my mind, like I really want to address this in my podcast, because I know that there are teachers out there who, like I said, either already are teaching people that are either prenatal or postnatal, or maybe just have a curiosity for their own health and wellness, or they get questions from their students. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that might, might arise. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So, um, I thought a good place to start is <clears throat> I did a little research. I took a look at your website, trying to get kind of just a sense and you have such a wide range of experience. And at the same time, you're really honing in. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would love to just have you tell people a little bit about how you got where you are, you know, what, what kind of led you to specialize in this area and just kind of start out by telling people a little bit about your background. Okay, sure. So I actually started out in ortho. Um, I thought I was going to work with like athletes and I still actually, I guess I still work with athletes, right? Like some, but um, just, I wanted to, let me start over. Okay. So I started out in ortho, right? I really, I first, I wanted to work with athletes because I was a soccer player when I was younger. Um, And I did work with athletes, but I also worked with elderly people who had total knee replacements and hip replacements, back stuff, basically head to toe physical therapy. Like what you think of as a general outpatient of a setting. Um, And then through that journey, I had two children And it wasn't until after my birthing experiences that I was like, hmm, let me dive in a little bit to the pelvic floor. Because when I first started physical therapy, I actually remember in physical therapy school, opening a book up and seeing like somebody mobilizing the tailbone and they were doing that like rectally with their finger through their rectum. And I was like, oh, there is like no way in hell I would do this, you know, like laughing with my friends thinking like, who does that? Right. Um, and now like now I do that. So it really, I didn't get there immediately. It took me 10 years of ortho and having two children to then even think about, let me educate myself on the pelvic floor a little bit more. Um, and I took one class, like one um, continuing education class, and I was just completely hooked. Um, I realized I had a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction when I was younger. Um, and so just learning about it and educating myself helped me heal my myself and heal some issues that I was going through. Um, and then from there, I just kept taking more and more classes mm-hmm. um, and started to kind of hone in on and work with and support the prenatal and postpartum uh, moms more. Granted, I see patients in my practice who are younger, in their late teens or even early twenties up to women, um, and some men in their like sixties and seventies. But mm-hmm. my, my main 
passion is prenatal postpartum uh, due to a lot of like the lack of education I received and I had prenatally and uh, lack of like support in postpartum in my own postpartum journey, basically. Got it. So tell people um, where you're located and kind of what your practice is like these days, like where you practice and what that's Sure. So I'm in Poughkeepsie, New York. It's about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, I see patients three days a week in my office. Um, I actually have a home office where I see patients, but I also see patients in a space called Waddle and Swaddle. And it's like a baby boutique store, but there's also some providers in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in your, so between those two locations, you see primarily, you said women and uh, some men, and yes. the focus is primarily prenatal and postnatal for the most that- part. That is my main passion, but again, I see, so I'll see, um, people who are like some of the most common pelvic floor symptoms or complaints would be like leaking urine, whether it's with coughing, laughing, sneezing, which is like a stress incontinence, um, or they might leak like on their way to the bathroom. Like they get an urge to pee in there, like having to run to the toilet and they might not make it. And that's an urge incontinence. Or issues with like urinary frequency um, or urgency and not leaking, uh, pelvic pain, um, pain with sex, back, hip, groin pain, that kind of stuff, um, and pelvic organ prolapse, which is probably a bigger complaint postpartum. I have some prenatals and then some women who are like older, um, whether it's perimenopause or postmenopausal. Got it. Now, are these folks who have seen a physician and have been referred to you, do they need to be referred by a physician so that you know? Some, yeah. So some yes and some no. Um, every state is going to be different based on if they need a referral or not. Some have direct access. Some have direct access for a few sessions and then need a referral. Um, so in New York state, it's, it's direct access for a certain amount of sessions or a certain amount of time before then asking for a referral, which is, can easily be done by just sending the evaluation to the doctor. Um, but some are sent from the doctor, but a lot of them are actually just like, they've done their own research or a friend has told them, or they found out on like a Facebook group. Right. Which is, I wish it was always the doctor that is sending them because they're, they, I've had people who go to the doctor and tell them their complaints and the doctor doesn't even know to give them as a resource to go to a public floor physical therapist. They're like, mm, right. sorry. Like almost like there's just nothing or right. here's a, an option of a pill. And right. a lot of the people who come to see me are kind of in that category of like, well, I'll take a medication if I need to, but that's not what I want as my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I also, they're also the ones that are like pretty active. And a lot of them are yoga students um, because they tend to be either very aware of their body or just very um, passionate about their own health. And so they're kind of just doing the work to find me. 
Got it. Okay. All right. So now that we've kind of given the listeners a little bit about your background, I want to see if there's a way, and I don't know kind of the best way to do this. You tell me. I, I want to mm-hmm. try to give people a little bit of a basic understanding of what muscles we're talking about here, because, you know, even for even a yoga teacher listening, who's not teaching prenatal or postnatal, mm-hmm. there still should be some understanding of what these muscles are. And yet they're not oftentimes covered in basic anatomy trainings. And as I said, even in my signature program, I don't cover specific mm-hmm. pelvic floor musculature. Yeah. So I know we don't have any visuals. I mean, people are listening. Um, is there something muscle wise that, you know, you want to share with folks or even like when you were mentioning something about the tailbone, something yeah. there, like anything that would give people maybe some of the fundamentals um, through the lens of I'm going to be teaching yoga I'm yeah. going to be, or I teach yoga, I'm cueing people mm-hmm. around obviously the different poses. Now, you know, granted I'm, probably not cueing people to these particular muscles, um, per se, but just for my knowledge base. Yeah. Anything that you think might be helpful to share with people? Yeah, sure. So I'll try to paint a picture, um, of the pelvis so that people are aware of like where it is. And I'll just give a very basic anatomy 101 of the pelvis here. So If you imagine your pelvis, the bottom, the base of your pelvis is going to be more of a, like a diamond shape between your pubic bone, like the bottom of your pubic bone, your two sit bones and your tailbone. I have a sit over here to my left. So yeah, I was going to say I could grab my pelvis, but the listeners can't see it. So if you just like, say you're sitting down on a chair You could probably feel your two sit bones. That's right on either side. And if you lean forward, you'd feel maybe your pubic bone. And if you lean back, you'd feel your tailbone. So if we have that image, um, we can imagine inside all that is pelvic floor muscles. Now the pelvic floor muscles is actually, um, is in three different layers. Okay. And it's, so it's not just one muscle that does it all three layers from superficial or from the outer surface, right? Like around the anus, around the vaginal opening, around the um, urethra, from the clitoris to the perineum, which is the perineum is the space between the vagina and the anus, Mm -hmm. um, from the sit bones to the perineum. So like all in there, we're gonna say is like the first layer then you go a little bit deeper inward and there's another layer of muscles that kind of go around the urethra and up and over the urethra. And again, from the sit bones to the perineum, mm-hmm. um, the muscles around that are more superficial, I call like the closing muscles. They close the anus, they close the vagina, they close the urethra. Okay. And then the deeper layer, the third layer is the lifting muscles, the levator muscles. So those muscles go from a deeper sense, like if you're now like in your mind, kind of moving deeper within the pelvis, they go from behind the pubic bone, around the vagina, around the anus, down to the tailbone and the sacrum in the back. Mm-hmm. And they kind of are a lot like in the walls deeper in, if that's making some sense. 
yeah. to the listeners in your head? Like, does that kind of paint that picture a little yeah. bit? I'm wondering too, are there certain connections to other muscles that are more commonly known? Like, is there some kind of like anastomosis of sorts between like the psoas and one of these layers or like the internal oblique? Like, is there some connection? Well, the internal oblique, yeah, is one of the um, hip rotator muscles. It rotates your hip outward. Um, and that is part of the pelvic floor. Okay. You can access that internally. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like your adductors, your inner thigh muscles attached to part of the pubic bone exactly. right next to the superficial layers. Yeah. The gluteus muscles are yeah. pretty big guys. They, mm-hmm. it, they can help you access the mm-hmm. pelvic floor muscles, the inner thighs, the gluteus muscles, your abdominal muscles, especially your lower abdominal, deeper, mm-hmm. um, like transverse abdominus yeah. muscles. Like yeah. they have kind of, uh, like more of like a fascial connection to the pelvic yeah. floor and when activated can create a lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's helpful. Cause those are definitely muscles that not only I cover, but teachers probably have some familiarity with from their kind of general review of anatomy. Um, one thing I'm thinking too, as you mentioned, like the transversus abdominis, um, I think sometimes there are some conversations in different yoga circles around core musculature and if pelvic floor musculature should be considered part of core muscles. What's your thought? Um, Have you heard of that? I consider the pelvic floor part of your core muscles. Okay. Um, I consider the glutes and glute medias part of your core. Like it really kind of depends. And I consider your diaphragm part of your core. It's kind of like, I consider your core, like the diaphragm at the top and the pelvic floor at the bottom. Oh, okay, cool. And like the abdominals in the front and then your spinal muscles in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, the little ones like multifidi and stuff, I don't know how deep That's you go into it. Rector spinae. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of like a whole canister of yeah. muscles. But the reason I just brought glutes and glute medius in there is because they help stabilize your pelvis, especially if you're like on one leg and things, but... Right. And, and that idea, you know, now that we've talked a little bit about musculature, the idea of pelvic stabilization is definitely something that is super relevant to yoga teaching because in different shapes, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of the alignment of the shape that comes with Mm -hmm. a certain position. And then there's all the variations we see. And sometimes we don't know why students are showing up the way they are with certain variations. And I wonder, are there certain pelvic floor muscle issues that can affect stabilization of the pelvis or maybe create an anterior tip or a posterior tip that you might see in someone when they practice? And you might not think, oh, it could be that. Not that you're going to approach the person and say, hey, do you think you have a pelvic floor instability with this particular muscle, but just in broadening people's appreciation for why students might show up in a particular posture the way they do, broadening their understanding of a why beyond just 
these gross motor movement muscles like psoas and rectus abdominis and things like that. So when you talk about pelvic stability, how do these core muscles kind are these um, pelvic floor muscles contribute to that? Mm, so the first thing that comes to mind is like the posterior pelvic tilt, because I feel like that's talked about a lot. It's like tuck, 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 tuck. And that, okay, that's great. It, maybe that helps some people activate their deeper abdominal muscles, right? But it is a position that puts the pelvic floor muscles in a shortened, tighter position. That makes sense. Because if you tuck, 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 tuck your pelvis, like you're tucking your sit bones backward or your tailbone is tucking under, if you do that and you're sitting and you feel what's happening, you're bringing your tailbone closer to your pubic bone. You're bringing your, you'll feel your sit bones come together. So those muscles are shortening and tighter. So maybe it'll help you feel like you can tighten those muscles more. However, for people who are having like pain with sex or pain with like pelvic pains or back pains, like over tightening things might make them feel worse. Yeah. Um, and it, so they might present with tightness in their pelvic floor already. So they might already be in that position. And so then if you're asking somebody who has a tighter pelvic floor to get into a position that requires anterior pelvic tilt, which would be like back bends. Yeah like bridge or camel or bow or wheel or even Anjaniyasana, if I can throw out Sanskrit, like, yeah, then they might have a challenge opening the pelvic floor, lengthening and having, making space there. Yeah. Is that making sense? Um, Totally. And I mean, the thing that's interesting is, and, you know, I mean, I think when we as yoga teachers, when we think about shortened muscles or overly lengthened muscles, we don't always think about those qualities. I mean, I don't always think about those qualities as it relates to these deeper pelvic floor muscles, but I imagine, I mean, they're muscles, so they respond in the same way. Totally. Their composition, origin and insertion, concentric contraction, eccentric lengthening, all of those mechanics, Mm -hmm. all of that functionality is still in these muscles. So yeah, I think the reason why it's sticking in my brain a bit is because I don't think of them as much as like voluntary control muscles. Like I'm going to bend my elbow. I'm using mm-hmm. my biceps, right? Yeah. We don't always think about because the, the action. Yeah. The action isn't such like a bringing a bone closer to a bone. Like there's not such a gross motor movement there, but they, it's like you're, it's probably closer, like your diaphragm, you feel your ribs expand open and come back and that there's some movement, but it's not as big of like bend your knee, <laughs> bring your heel towards your butt. Well, but it's yeah. still so vital for your function. Right. And when you were just saying before the example of like someone coming into a back bend, if they have overly tightened muscles in that complex you described that might be difficult for them they probably might not even know that i mean it's not as if someone is saying i have a tight hip flexor maybe they yeah no which you, you know then you also have a hard time getting into a back bend right <laughs> right well, if you're right. Exactly. yeah so it's also like it's hard to say like is it this or is it this 
Right. But you might, you know, um, just instead of thinking it's only, it could only be this, it's, is it A, B or C instead of, is it just A or B when you just add another piece? Absolutely. And I'm always about, you know, broadening people's understanding from like the cookie cutter approach to appreciating Mm -hmm. the body system, even when you mentioned fascial connections before, I mean, there's the fascia and the muscle, right? So mm-hmm. I can look at them separate, even though they are so intertwined, literally. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I totally, I totally get that. So um, one of the things that I'm curious about, and you would be the perfect person to ask this of is when as yoga teachers, we see people in our classes, let's say you're a yoga teacher, you don't specialize in pre or postnatal, and you have someone come to class who is pregnant, and mm-hmm. they are visibly pregnant, they are a practicing student versus a brand new student who decided for some reason to try yoga for the first time when they're yeah. pregnant. Um, what are some considerations? Like I'm thinking muscular considerations or movement considerations for that student, given what the body's musculature in this region of the body is doing because to prepare for for birth. Mm, Okay. So not necessarily like a, what they should or shouldn't do. Cause right. Like just more anything anything. Anything you want to, cause this is a real situation that happens. And and now it's probably happening more online in class versus in person. So you have that added challenge of you're not even in the room with the person. Um, Now, granted, I know from my years of experience in teaching, if you have someone come to class, you don't know them, they will typically say, you don't need to worry about me. I've been practicing for a while. I know what to do and not do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Not everybody always has that agency of body. And, um, and sometimes they say, you know, Hey, what do you think I should like? I I don't know. So anything that comes to mind. So what I would say is like, if they've been practicing for a while and they know their body and you first, you know, would make sure you say, if you're not comfortable with anything, please ask, I can provide a modification, right. Things like that. So depending on where they are in their pregnancy, if they're not going to be laying on their stomach, right? Prone for certain things. They could probably do it in side lying or in tabletop or something like that. So having variations for them for, you know, instead of on their belly, what something that kind of, I, I don't understand with the prenatal yoga world is they tell moms, they can't twist. And I don't believe that. I don't fully believe that. I, I do agree with, you're not going to do like a closed twist, like, um, an awkward bind, so to say, right. Mm -hmm. Like if you were in high lunge, you're not going to lean, you're not going to turn towards the right leg and bind because you just don't have the space at a certain time. Right. Right. It's really about like, you're losing space versus you're going to injure yourself unless someone's forcing beyond where they should be going and nobody should be doing that anyways. So, but they should be able to do other twists and rotations because imagine like they're, they have another kid in the back of their car. They're turning back and throwing crap, like toys and food at their other toddler, you know, like, here you go, like all during the day. And when they're not mindful, they're twisting. So why are we telling moms 
in a yoga class when they're being mindful to not twist. Spinal rotation is so helpful in like as part of your movement. Right. You know, so I would say not being scared to allow them to twist, but letting them know, like, um, you might not be able to go as far as you used to because your belly is growing and you just, you won't have the space. There's no forcing it, you know, not barging through a barrier, but listening to your body. Um, yeah, I love that. I think, you know, this is again, I mean, part of my whole philosophy and teaching anatomy to teachers is understand the why behind the cue you're giving um, and don't just pick up a cue that you heard and maybe or maybe not wonder the why behind it, but then use it because then you're mm-hmm. just empowering yourself and you may not be giving the best information to somebody. And I love what you said about the functional movement, like activities of daily living part, because if it is something we do in daily living that isn't unsafe, why would we then in the context of a yoga class make that movement unsafe? You'd want to make that movement familiar so that the body is acclimated to doing it. Totally. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, okay. So, so, all right. So that's, that's that. Go ahead. I I could go. I mean, I could go on about the whole prenatal thing. Um, The other thing is like, making sure you're not only teaching prenatal moms to tighten and squeeze and Kegel. Like it's not always tight, 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 tight because for birthing, we need to open release and go the opposite way. And what I see from a lot of patients that come to me who do prenatal yoga, they've never been taught to release and let go. It's always about tightening. So they're doing like a thousand posterior pelvic tilts in every pose they're posterior pelvic tilting. And they're like not doing back bends and hip openers and like other things. Like, why are we not lengthening the hip flexors? Why are we not opening the inner thighs and stretching that? Why are we, why are we only doing squats and and kegels? So I I would definitely say to make sure it's balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about external rotation? Is there some issue with that? I mean, given my very limited understanding is something to do with the release of certain hormones to make things a little bit looser so that the baby can come out. Does that mean there are certain um, hip mobility concerns that teachers should have? I I personally believe that no, okay. I teach, I teach all my prenatal moms to be able to both externally rotate and open their hips, but also internally. Cause when you externally open, like open your hips, you're opening the top part of your pelvis by your, the crests of your pelvis, yeah. right? The iliac crest. And then when you internally rotate, you're actually opening your sit bones and making space down there. Right. And so in terms of birthing, you need both to have good mobility because you want the baby to get in the best birthing position. Right. Right. And then, but you also need to be able to open your sit bones and allow the baby to come out um, during the actual birth. So I would not limit it. I would just make sure the moms are listening to their body. And if it doesn't feel right, like we're not doing, they're probably not doing fast, jumpy, quick yoga anyways. And it's probably right. like more slow and controlled. So if they're listening to their body, they should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's less 
the hormones like loosening things up and giving more like ligamentous laxity. I think it's less that and more the patient not fully uh, able to connect to their muscles well in their new body alignment slash posturing due to the change of their uh, center of gravity and things like that. Um, So even just having them practice finding like their center of gravity and like Tadasana is so helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes yeah, sense. Just, yeah. Cause it's kind of a moving target as they progress in their mm-hmm. pregnancy, that positioning define that center of gravity will change. Um, what about after someone has a baby? I have, again, had limited experience with this, but I do remember I had a student who had there was something about a separation that sometimes happens between the rectus abdominis. Yeah. The diastasis. Yes. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't know, but are there considerations for te- for students who come to you and say, Oh, by the way, I just had a baby two months ago or something. Mm. So the, the teachers are probably not going to be checking for diastasis, right? So they could, the, and the person coming in might not even have a clue that they have it, Just but people what that is. So the dia okay. So diastasis is basically when your abdominal muscles, um, the space between the right and the left side of your abdominal muscles. Now the space is wider. It like widens. So the linea alba, which is the connective tissue between the two, it gets stretched out and thinned. Okay. Right. So it's not like a hole between it's not a hole it's a it's a separation or a widening um a hernia is an actual opening and a hole so there is a difference um hernias cannot be healed with physical therapy or strengthening or whatever it's gonna still be present that's a surgical intervention um but a diastasis for some people can be healed and strengthened and there's also a difference between someone who might have a functional diastasis, um, meaning when they properly activate their core, they you don't see like a, a bulge happening or a, a doming happening at that linea alba because instead of, they're not like pushing outward, but they're able to pull and support inward at the deeper layers of the abdominals. Okay. All right, so... I do remember in this one scenario, the person actually told me that she had that or mm-hmm. she just was operated on it, but operated on for it. But um, why don't we just kind of tackle this from the perspective of in general, when people do come to class uh, who have recently had a child. Yeah. Yeah. Things to consider. So um consider so their uh, their core system has been disrupted at the pelvic floor and the abdominal region right um whether they had a c-section or a vaginal birth because even just carrying a baby puts a lot of pressure on so they're still figuring out how to move in their body so considerations would be like giving them if they're in like a general class giving them modifications that are more basic than you'd probably think that they might need if they, even if they've been practicing up until the day that they birth. 
even if they're doing plank the day before they birth, if they're just coming back postpartum two months, they're probably not planking it right now. Right. Put your knees down. They're probably going to be in tabletop and working on just connecting their breath to their core plus their pelvic floor. So I typically would cue people on the exhale to engage their pelvic floor and their core because the diaphragm helps them engage these muscles. Um, so for example, if other people are planking, you, you maybe are saying like, drop the knees, get in tabletop and work on this. Um, if they're on their back and other people are doing boat pose, yeah, maybe they're holding their legs and their toes are still down and they're just working on breathing and pulling in the muscles and not, you know, and just staying there with their toes still on the ground. Right. That makes right. sense. I don't know if this yeah. is good consideration. I'm trying to give ex- like real life examples. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I mean, I kind Some of other, think yeah. after any, these are kind of, yeah, yeah. That you're just kind of getting, especially if you've had like an open appendectomy or something in the core. It's so, oh, yeah. Do everything. But yeah, keep going. What else were you thinking? So another thing is like back bends right? Require eccentric control of your abdominal muscles because they're lengthening, but they still have to be strong. Otherwise you're just going to like fall back and hurt your back. Like you have to control that movement. So they might not be doing something like camel pose, but they could do like sideline boat pose or or I'm sorry, bow pose sideline. Like they're still back bending. Back bends are still okay. Up dog is still great. Like it's actually nice to lengthen the abdominals um, prenatal and postpartum. I don't know why people don't do that. And they're like, I stopped up dog because I was like my belly. I'm like, your belly's growing. Help it help stretch. Like, why would we think like, I need a lot. My hamstring needs like to be longer for whatever. So I'm just going to stop stretching it because it's already like doing it. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that concept. It's like your belly is growing. Help it grow. Do your back, do the things that straight, like lengthen your abdominals, but a big piece that I see missing prenatal and postpartum is the side body is like lengthen the side body. Right. Does that make sense? Like from your pelvis to your rib cage that helps take pressure off of the low back. Um, and it helps the back open the spine open in the back so that then they can better control from the front, like better engage the abdominals. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. Like, no, I love that. And I love variation of bow sideline because it's a cool way to kind of take the posture and just tip it. Yeah. And it's or from tabletop, bow. right. Where you kind of kickstand your foot and you're doing it that way. Yeah. Maybe they can yeah. do it that way. Yeah, for sure. But cool. But That's things good. where you're, yeah, things where you're even in standing, um, and you do like a, uh, you back bend a little bit, you know, yeah. inhale arms up. You're maybe you're doing uh, sun salutations and you give a little back bend in that part. Like that is where sometimes people will dome or bulge if they have diastasis because they don't have control eccentrically of those muscles. Doesn't mean they can't ever do it, but newer postpartum or even, you know, later in pregnancy, that might be um, something that people modify. Right. Right. Got it. That's all. That's all really helpful. So, um, now that we've covered kind of the yoga piece, um, I'm trying to think 
are there some things that you want to share with listeners about, especially if someone's listening who wants to get more information from you to learn about maybe not for them as a, as a patient, um, but more to learn about this for yoga teaching? Is there anything that you offer that would educate people outside of patient-centered type education? Mm. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> soon. How about yeah. that? No, if <laughs> well, I, mean, I can definitely say, you know, I can certainly think of things where we could collaborate and I could have you come to an event that I'm doing, a virtual type yeah. thing. You, you could give yeah, like a, I, you know, like a master class. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Master I class. That. Yeah, I love that because yeah. it is, and it's a huge part that's missing. I mean, I'm a yoga teacher. I that gone through 500 hour yoga teacher training. And did we go over the anatomy and the function and everything on the pelvic floor? No, Um, because there's so much stuff. It's not just yoga poses. It's like philosophy and all the things, you know, to kind of gather, but it is part of your body, right? So I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd be happy to do that with you for your listeners. And if people are interested, they, I'm, send me an email, like reach out and let me know, like you'd like to learn more and I'll just put something together for you guys. You know, I can yeah. create a, a simple masterclass. It's like, we can go over different yoga poses and just what are, you know, what's working here when you're in this pose, you know, is this when you relax? Is this when you strengthen? Is this when you, how do you breathe with to, you know, help you get into this pose or different things like that? Right. Um, right. Because no, I think, I think that, that- I think that would be great. Um, I just want to, I, I can't see the time because I'm too far away from my oh, computer. Oh yeah, we're just, good. It's only 2.08. Okay, good. So uh, one thing that I'm thinking as we're talking is, are there general, I know this is probably going to be a little hard to say generally, but are there, I mean, there's so much information out there about general health and wellness. And when we boil it down to even just yoga practitioners or, you know, yoga practice or exercise kind of in the exercise science kind of personal training space. But uh, all of what we're talking about muscle wise doesn't always, if ever get really covered in any of that information. It's not like people are really often sharing, how can you keep these muscles healthy? (laughs) You know, and I'm wondering Are there, like you had mentioned Kegels, right? Mm -hmm. So I think at one point it was kind of a thing that women would think, oh, I need to be doing these throughout my life. So I don't have problems with incontinence. Mm -hmm. Are there certain things that I'm saying women, but you do say you have some male clients. So I guess let's just say women, just as a start, are there some things that women should do to address pelvic health? when we just look at it through the lens of the muscles? So just like any muscle, you, I don't want, I don't like to say you, like, if you don't use it, you lose it because that's like one of those terms that I don't know, it's kind of annoying to me to say it. And I just said it. So forget that. But, but really like, if you don't use it, you might lose awareness of it. It's not like you lose, like it doesn't just necessarily atrophy because it's working without you knowing as well. Right. <laughs> That's why I said, I don't want to say you just lose it, but you might lose awareness of it 
Right. Um, and but you might not have are... good coordination and like timing of the muscles with specific things. Like they might not fire when you cough, which you've needed it to do. Does that make sense? Right. Um, right. So in general, you don't need to do a hundred Kegels a day sitting in your car driving. You okay. need to use them with function, just like other muscles, right? Like I usually have my patients use it when they're doing their exercises they're already doing, use it when they're getting up from a chair, use it when they're lifting something, use it when they're um, in specific yoga poses, like, okay, that you're gonna engage your pelvic floor here when you're in like warrior two, because it's a strong pose. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna utilize it with like most of your core strengthening exercises. Um, but also like when you're doing stretches or releases, you're going to also let it go. So I guess in general, it's like, you need to have some good strength in it. You have to be able to let it go and just gaining awareness of this part of your body so that if something comes up, you just already are a step ahead because you have awareness, which just comes in like, that's just kind of education, educating yourself. Maybe everyone going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, right? Just for a like, I don't know that much about this part of my body. Nothing's even really going on, but I just want to come in to like gain awareness and like learn how to Kegel correctly. So when I am doing it, I'm doing it right. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, if people are in, in the wellness uh, group versus the after I after something pops up, I, I address it <laughs> group. Um, right. Did that, well, did that kind of answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that someone might be wondering, I know I'm wondering, and I'll just ask just to see what you think. I've read actually recently that you should not try to stop when you're going to the bathroom, when you're peeing mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. a way to strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. So right. That Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because what happens is your bladder is a muscle and your bladder contracts to squeeze out basically the urine. Right. And your pelvic floor muscles have to open because they're the other end of the pipe, we'll say. So if you're going to close and squeeze your pelvic floor muscles as you're peeing to try to stop your urine flow, you're kind of sending a signal back up through. Yeah your nervous system to tell your bladder, you know what, not right now. And it can stop yeah. your bladder from contracting and then you don't fully empty. And then that can create a habit where your bladder doesn't fully empty. If you do it every so often, cause you're like, I'm just curious if I can stop my flow. That's good. That's fine. Once, okay. well, you know, you say you do it once and you can do it. Great. Why do you have to ever do it again? Unless you're literally like start peeing and you have to try to stop and you're not supposed to, you're not on the toilet. But, um, other than that, like if you try to stop and you can't, you're like, Oh gosh, don't start trying to stop it all the time. But maybe a month or so later, you're like, okay, I've been working at it. I've been maybe seeing somebody or doing some exercises for it. I'm going to retest it. That's okay. But not, you're right. I don't do that as an exercise. The best place to be working on those muscles is like with actual 
functional things. I guess peeing is functional, but that's when you release it. <laughs> that's when you right. Work. So when you work with people to bring, let's say somebody just came to you just to build greater awareness of the pelvic mm -hmm. floor muscles. Since everybody mostly hears about Kegels, mm -hmm. there are other things you're doing with them, correct? Besides mm -hmm. just that. Right. So okay. if they're coming to me with like, usually the ones who come to me with no pelvic floor issues are postpartum but they're just looking for like postpartum recovery and healing of their body. Um, but if somebody wanted to go to a pelvic floor therapist, just like they go to like a GYN and the dentist and stuff for checkups. And they're just like, I just want to check up. Then it would be starting by, well, it first it's like checking posture. Like how's your posture or your alignment and how's your breathing and standing and, and you know, how's your sitting? Um, are you having any pains anywhere? What's your hip and mobility. Can you like get down into a squat? What does your squat look like? Or standing on one leg, like functional things just to see how their, um, their balances, their mobility of other parts of their body. That is not even just the pelvis spinal right. movement and mobility. What's that like? Because if somebody is like, um, very kyphotic or rounded in their thoracic spine, that kind of closes off the diaphragm. And then that kind of adds more, you might see them with like a lower belly bulge, like they're like pooching their lower abdominals out, but then that's pushing pressure down on their pelvic floor. And over the long run, that might not be a pelvic floor health plus that might be putting them at a small, like a little bit higher risk of stuff like prolapse or leaking urine or things like that. So it's not just, oh, is your pelvic floor strong? Can you Kegel? But like, what's the rest of your whole body look like? And then also like if they're, maybe I'd have them lift something and then notice like, oh, you just were like breath holding or like, did you feel like you pushed down into your pelvis when you did that activity? Mm -hmm. You know, just trying to bring some awareness to their body for those functional movements, um, and their posture and alignment and stuff like that. So that down the road, um, they either can avoid some things or even just bringing awareness to symptoms to look out for. So if they pop up, they can address them sooner. Cause sometimes people don't even know there's an issue or they don't think there's help for it. They know there's an issue. They just don't know there's help for it. So to just be like, these are some things that just, you know, if these things happen, call me back or right. If that makes sense. If you're leaking urine or if you're feeling pressure in your pelvis, or you feel like you can't keep a tampon in or falling out, or you're having pain with sex or you're feeling constipated, like. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, see, when you give those as examples of symptoms, mm -hmm. that's helpful because all of what you just mentioned in the assessment, like the postural assessment and the movement assessment, something you saw could be because of other musculature. So oh, yeah, exactly. It has to be kind of a match between symptoms they might be having and those postural red flags. And you're like, oh, this is going to be something in these. Yeah. yeah. I, it's like, you, you know, we're, as a pelvic floor therapist, I'm not just zoning in on the pelvic floor, especially because I started in ortho and that I've been trained to see the whole body as like the whole, because the pelvis and the pelvic floor are not working by themselves. 
Right. They're not like, oh, we're just separating them from the rest of their body and they're just stopping pee or something. There's a whole pressure management system through your, your core and your, um, like your, your gut is from like, starts at your mouth down to your anus, you know, it's like one tube. So, right. Yeah. And when you described it in the beginning, I almost saw it, like you said, almost like that whole perimeter and then between. So yeah, it's definitely, but I could see if someone is having symptoms, you can hone in if the symptoms are potentially related to these muscles, then you kind of, yeah. So it's not some of these bigger muscles that we tend to consider movement, gross motor movement muscles. It's probably something in this, in this area. Yeah. And sometimes it's like the chicken or the egg thing. It's like, okay, you're in this posturing, you know, you're in this position and alignment of what, whatever is that coming from? tightness in the pelvic floor or is that coming from tightness in like your pecs and your chest and your restrictions of your diaphragm like where is this coming from so it's like a zone out zone in it's like this constant like changing of the lens yeah um one one thing and I know we're going to be wrapping up soon but one thing I want to just touch on is I can remember an experience Um, fairly recently I had teaching before COVID when we were teaching in person and someone came up to me after class and mentioned that they had a real lack of awareness around their core muscles. And Mm -hmm. they were just questioning me, just asking, you know, is there, is there something I can do for this? And they were describing it as um, a situation where they really just couldn't feel too much in their core. So I was just doing a little bit of kind of somatic work with them and describing mm-hmm. muscles. And I was staying very basic in terms of transversus and abdominis. Yeah. But I wonder um, where so much of the work you do is with these muscles that are so deep in the body. Mm-hmm. And then because of the nature of where they are in the body and what their function is, there can be overlaid on top of that, a lot of feelings and mm-hmm. and impressions. And what if the person also has had life experience that may be traumatic mm. or so. So I guess I'm just wondering, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything that comes to mind for you that is part of that? conversation within this larger conversation we're having like if if you you see patients who have kind of um a component to their physical symptoms that is this other piece of mental um emotional um that is actually resulting in a lack of awareness you know maybe Mm. they're blocking sensation Mm -hmm a protective mechanism because yeah. so anything that comes to mind I know it's probably it could, a big conversation but I'm just wondering I mean you can't separate the mind from the body right they're they're constantly working together right without our brain we we're not gonna be able to contract a muscle or use a muscle yeah um so I do see with patients who've had traumatic experiences and that could be childbirth, but that could be other sexual traumatic experiences, right? Um, 
where there is a disconnect to the pelvic floor. And maybe I can't go directly to the pelvic floor to help them with that directly and work on it because it's too, it's like not a zone that they're ready for. So I start with their, their breath for that, you know, and just work on the connection of that. And like you said, showing them the anatomy on like a a pelvis on an external thing is really helpful, but, um, it's more common than I think people would think. (laughs) So I also would send patients to like, um, a sex therapist or inquire if they're seeing a therapist to help with other things and just letting them know like the, the mental, like the mind and the body are need to work in harmony together for your body to function and work, you know, work well, we might notice like when we're watching a movie and it's scary, we like guard and tighten and protect our body without even being aware that we're doing it until someone's like, drop your shoulders, like relax, you know, like, but we're freaking out. So we're like here. And so our pelvic floor does the same thing. It's a part of our body we need to protect, right? It's part of our reproduction. Like that's vital for us to continue to procreate. So um, if there is trauma in the area, there might be extra tension and, and things held. Mm. Oh, there. Yeah. 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 And I think obviously it's outside the scope of our practice as yoga teachers to address that directly. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we could, like I was, we could be in a scenario where um, a student is saying, you know, just in the context of a yoga, yoga pose or a yoga practice, I don't really feel my core muscles working, mm. you know? Um, So that's helpful to kind of, again, it's just, even though it's outside our scope of practice, it's a recognition of a whole other set of factors that play that I think it's helpful for teachers to know and to at least have that it's a possible. Yeah. Cause sometimes people don't feel muscles working because they're not, they're weaker. And when things are weaker, we don't like feel them until they get stronger. Right. So maybe they're just not in the right pose for them, or they need like to change their alignment to better activate and engage those muscles. Um, maybe they need more of a neutral position because it's, that's like, an, I want to say easier, more foundational way, like place to be to activate the, the core. Right. Um, But if like, you're trying all these things with them, you're like, okay, let's try this in a different position, or let's try to work your breath with your core, or let's, um, almost like isometrically have you do it where you're, um, for example, I don't, I'm trying to think of a yoga pose where you would do that. Like, so you're in tabletop and you have them try to like actively without moving, bring their hands towards their knees, like that kind of thing, but not actually doing it, but like that. And they're like, yeah, I still don't feel it, you know, and all these things you're trying, you're still not feeling it. Maybe there is more of a, a mental or emotional component and there's a block there. Yeah. And that is where if it's a student that maybe someone's really comfortable with, they've been around for a long time, they, the student feels comfortable, like bringing it up maybe the teacher feels comfortable suggesting a resource to them 
Hmm. of therapy, but maybe, maybe they don't feel comfortable. Like that's not their place to even offer that as a suggestion. Um, but just being aware that they could also just say sometimes other students that I've seen this with have had a, you know, there's like a block where they could just go into general, like sometimes there's like an emotional or a mental block and it's hard to, to feel that. And that might trigger the student to be like, oh, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a good, I mean, I think even just saying on the level of awareness, raising our awareness to this being a contributing factor is a good Mm -hmm. thing. Because, you know, it's like, it's one thing to say the body is a system versus just, oh, you're pointing to that part of your hip. It must be the blah, blah, blah muscle, you know? Mm -hmm. the other layer of adding that mind-body connection and the factors that influence that, and certainly life experience falls into that category, um, along with basic things like, have you had open abdominal surgery at one point? Mm-hmm. That might be why you lack awareness there. You know, it might just mm-hmm. be lots of scar tissue and blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, totally. But um, no, I think that's, that's all, that's all good. So uh, um, one thing I'm, I'm just thinking as we're talking, especially since we're obviously virtual, do you see all your patients in person or do you do any virtual consulting with people? I do both. So okay. I do virtual and, um, in person, the virtual, if they are in state, it, so it gets a, the whole virtual cause it's physical therapy and it's medical. Um, when I go virtual, it's less um, diagnostic, so to say, and more general of like educational and general. And like, I can virtually see someone's posture and give suggestions and things like that, but I can't like give a diagnosis of, Oh, you have prolapse or, Oh, you have a tight pelvic floor because without actually assessing it, I can't make that assumption. But, um, I'm just thinking just as people are listening, if they wanted to reach out to you for their mm-hmm. health and wellness mm-hmm. concerns, it sounds like they could at least have a general consult with you. If Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much to gain from that. It's oh really, yeah. It's so great. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think this whole, like I said, it's been on my radar. I'm so glad that we connected as we did and it's just, it's perfect um, uh, topic. And I love the way you went into a lot of yoga teaching specific stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as well, we had an opportunity to talk about, general health and wellness, um, you know, just having more agency over your body, being more responsible for your body, being more aware of your body, especially as a woman, as you age, all the changes that happen and not being afraid of those things and just being Mm -hmm. like, okay, let me just get more info. And I think for some listeners, even knowing that physical therapists can even specialize in this area is kind of like, wow, I never really, I was just thinking my my OBGYN. And when I go for my annual, you know, they might ask me a couple of questions as part of that. And for the whole rest of the year, <laughs> I'm not thinking about these muscles at all. So I love yeah. that this is, this is your focus. So that's great. So tell the listeners, as we kind of button this up, tell people how they can find you. I don't know if you do social media for this area of focus. Or yeah. Your professional website, which I found and I will include in the yeah. show. Go ahead, tell they them. can find me. So you guys can find me on Instagram. Um, I hang out there more often 
than the Facebook, but um, it is at Ashley Hocutt. So I'll spell that out for your listeners. A-S-H-L-E-Y-H-O-C-U-T-T. And that's my name. So you just look look up Ashley Hocutt. Um, I'm happy to either answer you in the DM there or if you want to send me an email, my email is Ashley at bluedoorpt.com and bluedoorpt.com is also my website. So there's a bunch of information there. And I think there's like a spot you can reach out um, through my website too. Got it. And for the listeners, I'll include this in the show notes for the episode, which posts on my website, even though most people listen to it via iTunes or Podbean, but they can always go to my website and pull up this information there in the show notes. Oh, great. And I also have a YouTube channel. I forgot to say that, but you can find that through Instagram. Um, It's right now, I think it's below the bump coach, but I'm trying to change it to my name, but I'm figuring that out. (laughs) I mean, we have the website link and I think that's always the best way and your Instagram. So yeah, because the Instagram can lead you to other stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. This was just so fantastic. And, and I just have really, I've learned a lot and I know people will learn a lot too. And I just love that we had a chance to connect and I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. This was great. So for anyone who has questions, you know, don't hesitate. I'm an open book. So yeah. And this will actually post today. So, um, I'll, I'll send you the link within a couple of hours and uh, yeah, it'll, it'll go up. And I like to post on Mondays and I have a pretty quick turnaround time with my podcast producer. He's fantastic. So this'll go up and people will get the info starting tonight. (laughs) Great. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Karen. You too. Bye-bye. Hi everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October, 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27. So the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next step section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future.
To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.